0: From the University of Notre Dame, this is With a Side of Knowledge, the show that invites scholars, makers, and professionals out to brunch for an informal conversation about their work. I'm your host, Ted Fox. And this is normally where I tell you With a Side of Knowledge is supported by Soren's Restaurant inside Notre Dame's Morris Inn. But by the time you hear this, Soren's will have retired, and renovations to it will be underway. When they're completed we'll return to the new Roar's restaurant at the Morrison and pick up right where we left off. For the time being, though, we just wanted to say thank you one last time to Soren's for all the support and let you, our listeners, know that we'll still be recording and releasing episodes on our regular schedule in the coming months. And when we're not recording, you can always find us on Twitter. And now Instagram, too. In both spots, we are at with a side of pod. Stephanie Welsh is the director of the documentary A Dangerous Idea, Eugenics, Genetics, and the American Dream. In September, she visited Notre Dame's DeBartolo Performing Arts Center in the nearby Vickers Theater in Three Oaks, Michigan, for screenings and discussion of the film. In addition to directing, Stephanie was a writer and producer on A Dangerous Idea, which exposes the false claims at the heart of biological determinism. The belief that we are not all created equal, that some groups and individuals are born inherently superior to others, and therefore more deserving of fundamental rights. The film goes on to show how popular misunderstanding of both gene science and the concept of genes has been and can be manipulated to advance truly sinister motives. Stephanie and I talked about the film, the experience of being an independent filmmaker, and the reception to A Dangerous Idea, whose accolades include winning Best Documentary at the Santa Fe Film Festival and Best Feature Film at the Oguchi International History Film Festival. There was also a sort of cameo by one of our past guests. You'll see, or should I say here, what I mean. For starters, what are we talking about when we're talking about eugenics?
1: Yes, well, we come... We come at the eugenics concept um, through this it's an old word, and it means "good birth" or "well birth," depending on how you want to read it. And it means you know, changing reproduction, basically, intervening in reproduction in one way or another <laughs> to improve the human population. That's the idea, at least. And you know, and when the term came about no one knew what a gene was or anything like that, so it was really more about different methods like segregation of the sexes to keep people from reproducing if they decided that was the case that they'd like to do that. It would be um, sterilization was used various forms, and you know encouraging people to not reproduce if they had certain ailments or <laughs> afflictions of some sort and then of course more recently since the manipulation of dna more focused on genetic engineering in some way another and so we hear a lot about that in our days most recently more about genetic engineering
0: well i mean you even had and we'll get to this maybe a little bit more explicitly later but you even had in the doc there's a cover from time magazine in 1999 where it has this infant on there and it just says the iq gene question mark and this idea of Oh, could it just be as simple as you're wired to be smart? Um, So what you're describing there with eugenics, I think for anyone should immediately start setting off red flags of something kind of sinister, whether it's, I, I think from whatever kind of tradition you come from, if you come from the tradition that we're all children of God or the U.S. tradition of we're all, you know, we're all created equal or even just kind of this basic humanism of valuing individual dignity and worth. But someone wanting to make this argument that certain kinds of people are better, smarter, destined to succeed, whatever, based on their genetic makeup would say, well, it's science. It's in their genes. What can you tell us about the ways that legitimate science has been manipulated, misused, or even just misunderstood by people along these lines over the last, it seems like over the last 50 to 100 years in particular?
1: Yes, and our research, you know, we we researched this for so many years, and over and over and over again, the theme that came through, in my view, is that it always seems to be people who are on top of the world, as far as they're concerned, that somehow find a way to justify that, right? So it's very rare that, let's say, um, if you're looking at racial issues around IQ, which has so many... So many problems we could talk about and assumptions that are not that are not proven. Right. Uh, but just let's say that people are trying to prove that uh, white people are smarter than black people. Pretty simple approach that a lot of people take. And they go in there supposedly objective, but they've never found the opposite. And so they say, well, there you right. go. You know, da, right. da, da. it must be true. And yeah, so really it's, it's a way to justify inequality and justify power and to hold on to that power, you know, and I think IQ tests in general as an example have served that purpose in a way that eventually got tied to genetics. Originally, the IQ test wasn't about a a fixed kind of intelligence at all. Binet, who came up with the test, originally used it to measure uh, how young people were doing in school and to find out where they were failing a little bit and to say, okay, well, we need to boost that, and help them. It wasn't about, they, he would have fought very much against this idea that there's a fixed intelligence that can't be changed. So, so over and over again, I think that's what we found is that, you know, most recently genetics in the old days, it was other, other biological determinism has been used to justify inequality because there's really no other way to justify inequality. You know, <laughs> you can say, well, we can say, well, we're all born equal. And they say, well, we're not. Usually, you know, people will jump in. And will say, "Well, if you're taller, you can play basketball. If you're shorter, you know, or, or this or that." And they come up with these sort of simplistic ways of talking about inequality. But we're saying truly, like valued. You know, we have we have equal value. We have we should have equal opportunities and things like that. And they and the only argument is to say that no, you don't because it's genetic. Otherwise, you have you would have to admit. Well, let's change the conditions of our environment, of our social structures. To make things more equal, so that's where the where the or, conflict or always comes. I guess,
0: or at the least, be very honest with yourself of what you're doing and say yes. we're choosing to privilege this other group just because we decided that's what we're going to do. And
1: they found when they've done that, that's a very unpopular thing, and <laughs> they yeah. usually get tossed yeah. out. You know, so it's a little tough to to maintain. It. So a lot of money, a lot of effort, and um, you know, energy has been put into this paradigm that we're going up against with our film so
0: i i mean one thing and if i understood it correctly you know you neither you nor i are scientists or molecular biologists and and, and you talk to people like that in the film but one thing that really stuck with me was this idea even that when we talk about genes and what we're saying that scientists don't really even completely agree what what a gene itself is i mean the there's some we we can talk a, a minute about the the Human Genome project was which was really important in and of itself for you know cataloging the, the human genome. but the idea was, oh, we're going to be able to identify what a gene is, and then that's how we can kind of tie these traits together. but these scientists are saying, look like if you really press us on the definition of what a gene is, we have a really hard time telling you what that is.
1: You know, it, it's a great moment in the film. And when we came across this on the genome.gov website, which it might still be on there and people want to check it out. Um, we were just very surprised at how honest they were about the conflict around the word. Some people say, well, it's like art, you know, it depends on your interpretation. Some people say it's going to be an argument forever about what a gene is. You know, when, it, and we, we really go through in detail in the film the trajectory of the concept which we, we were very careful in the film. I think we failed in one point that I'd love to go in and change. <laughs> we were very careful about saying gene concept because we argued that it isn't only a concept. From the very beginning of its, you know, what was initially constructed, this idea um, around Mendel, all the way to today, there's still no proof that there is this discrete unit of heredity. That's how they were looking at it originally. You know and so it evolved over time and of course that's science you know science should be able to change and evolve and that's our argument it was a very pro-science film we say you have to be fluid but you have to be looking directly at the data and so by today you know after the human genome project this concept has changed so much in the sense that this idea of a discrete unit of heredity that's passed on from generation to generation that's something that can't be changed by changing the environment. That's the key to the gene concept, and that's why we call it a dangerous idea. That's what we're referring right. to in the film, Right, is that it's, it can't be changed. It's a very convenient view, but by the time the Human Genome Project comes around, that's put into question, and that's when you see them scrambling to come up with another definition. Now, there, if you look it up, I think now in the official definition is about a page long or something with a lot of gobbledygook, <laughs> and, you know, it, it's, it's not to dismiss, you know, the the exploration into heredity, which we think is perfectly, you know, that's what we want to do. And right. for young people, I think it's a good time to get involved because it isn't sorted out. They don't really know. And so it's it's on them right now to come up with a real definition, not only of a gene, but to say, well, what are we really looking for? You know, heredity is so complex and dynamic as is development that the role of DNA that they identified as this discrete unit of heredity that they were looking for can't hold anymore. So we argue that it's a lot more complicated than they say even today. Um, a lot of people in the field will admit that, or not only admit it, but share that because they believe it. But the paradigm sticks because there's no other paradigm to go to, right?
0: Right. Well, I, and I, I mean, to really, I think, drive home this point, and I remember um, for people who are listeners of this show, Augustine Fuentes, we had on. Uh, about a year ago, talking about his book. And one of the things I, I talked about with him in reading his book on evolution and human creativity was I love this idea of how much DNA we as humans shared with dogs. And it, and he made the point at that time was saying, well, yeah, but it's not just dogs. And you have this screen in the film where one of the things that the Human Genome Project revealed is that these protein sequences that people were expecting to be, oh, these are the genes that control what we are, we shared like fifty percent with a banana and ninety percent with mice. We had fewer than tomatoes, so it's like, can this really be the thing that's determining what kind of person or who we are when we go out into the world?
1: Yeah, the the hope was that the Human Genome Project would make clear, you know, what what makes us different from other species. What makes different species different, you know, what and that's where the specificity comes in, right, species and the specific what makes us different. And, yeah, I think what was most surprising to me is the, when you see these, these facts emerging. So, you know, not only do we have the same number of genes as a housefly, basically, <laughs> like you're saying, those sequences, many of the sequences are the same as so many species you really can't. A banana, you know, it's really – so it's right. all contextual, and that's one one of the reasons that genetic engineering has really failed if you look at the promises from the its inception in 72 with recombinant DNA to today you know aren't we would argue that that those sequences can't just be plucked out of one <laughs> species and dropped into another in a different context you know it means something different that little piece of DNA and as we also talk about in the film Evelyn Fox Keller is fantastic on this You know dna is inert it's an inert molecule it's not a living thing you know when you look at it that way so it's an inert molecule that's in a living system that all of these other elements are working on you know so it's a very fundamental part of our heredity there's no doubt about it but there's no evidence after all of this you know hype i would call it over the last especially around genetic engineering and the commercial side of things but even so, even the basic science, there's there's no evidence that DNA is the end-all, be-all determiner, <laughs> because you use that word, of heredity. So it's very fascinating.
0: I think this leads naturally into, and I can't remember, and you, I'm sure you will remember the person who said this, there was someone in your doc, and it, it was on that exact point of that no one's trying to say that DNA and something like what the Human Genome Project did isn't critically important to understanding human biology, but... The point seemed to be, and one of your interviewees made it this way, that it's not the orchestra leader in, in the story of who we are and what we'll become. It's more it's one piece of the puzzle with lots of other things. Or if I could labor the metaphor even further, it's one piece in a complicated symphony. It's not mm-hmm. this isn't kind of the OK, this is the thing that's determining everything else that's following along behind it.
1: Exactly. It's not conducting anything, you know, and, and the code. I mean, all of that's It's fascinating. When we look back at all of the language that's been used over the century to describe the gene and then DNA, of course, you know, the double helix, how could you not think that that is the end-all, be-all gene. It's such a beautiful shape when they finally got the molecular structure, and that's why James Watson and Francis Crick were heroes and everything. And, you know, it's all very good science in terms of that technical work and reductionist work, which we need to do. And DNA exists. You know, obviously we're not saying it doesn't exist, but it has been... You know, the language is, you know, we put some of that in the film, and I just wish we could have put all of that. We would have, you know, bored the audience probably with so many images and magazine covers, you know, revering it as basically religious symbols, you know. And by the time, you know, today, one of the things we argue too in the film is that we can't really just redefine the gene and everything's okay. Because we've, you know, in the popular mind, we you can't get rid of that idea of this fixed element in our bodies and our heredity and our reproduction. And DNA itself has such a, because of that hype over these decades, it's really, it's stuck in our minds that way. Well, I, you know? I was
0: talking with my, my wife about this last night, just talking about doing this interview today. And even just that idea of walking up to a person on the street and it's like... Oh, I, I I get, like, I'm smart because my dad was, like, I get that from my dad. Like, he was smart. I'm smart. So just that kind of idea of, well, no, there's probably more than just you or your dad's son or your dad's daughter. That goes into having made you an intelligent 25-year-old or whatever you are today.
1: Yes, and, we, and another thing that we have on the cutting room floor that I'm going to get up on our website is all of these interviews, like you're talking about, literally You know, people on the street interviews in Times Square. We tend to focus there because there's such an array of people from all around the world. I think only one person was skeptical about the whole idea. I think they were going toward a religion gene. They said, "I don't know about that." You know, because we've heard that claim. We've heard um, you you name it. Just about every quality of human beings, we have found a gene claim for, which we say science by press release. Really, it was just put out there without any peer review. Or often it'll be prairie voles and not people that they've decided this very human attribute of cheating on your wife or husband you know, is, is, is common in prairie voles. Therefore, <laughs> you know, humans must have that, too. And many of those or most of those are retracted, but that's not ever really shown on the front page of The New York Times or all of these right. newspapers, you know. So it's, it's really a, an interesting discovery, I think. For us to see that people were so willing to believe what came out in the media because they assumed it had gone through that rigorous process of peer review and saying, "Hey, this is it," and when in fact, I don't think, still, if you ask me, and, and many scientists might disagree, who are listening, uh, there really are no complex human traits, personality traits. That's what we focus on in the film: is personality, behavioral traits that can be reduced to a single gene so
0: not something like eye color or something like that as much you know that's
1: even more complicated than you would think it's funny we (laughs) we found out with mendel and all these mendelian trades are not turning out now that they have all the data and they can actually do look at the patterns it's not so simple um there are very very few things that you know even with diseases we don't have to get into all that because i know it's a long conversation but it's just not what they thought Mm -hmm. and it really does lend it's you know it leads me to, to question, and in the film we do a little bit, but in my future films I'd like to question, where's the progress that we were promised based on the manipulation of DNA and the understanding of DNA once we identified all of these so-called genes? They haven't done that, you know, so where do we go now? Yeah. And no one's talking about that, or not, I should say, very few people are talking about it, at least in getting it into the popular media. Right.
0: Hey, just taking a quick break to tell you about another podcast from Notre Dame we're pretty sure you're going to enjoy. It's called Notre Dame Stories and hosted by our friend Andy Fuller. It features interviews with Notre Dame faculty making headlines as well as stories about the life and work of the university. It's even won a platinum award from the Association of Marketing and Communications Professionals. You can find Notre Dame Stories wherever you get your podcasts. And now, back to the show. The incorrect notion that some people's DNA, by virtue of their DNA, makes them less than or not as good as others has been deployed with devastating effects over the years around the world, but also in the United States. You chronicle some of this history, especially in the second half of the documentary of people who have been impacted by this idea of, well you're fundamentally unequal at a at a subatomic level at the dna level therefore we need to restrict you in some way in the world is there was there one story or interview as you were doing the documentary that really stuck i mean there are lots of very i mean troubling sad tragic stories but i'm wondering if there's one in particular that that stood out to you as emblematic
1: You know, um, we we do like you said. We we cover a lot of the historical part that many people have covered in books and some films about um, sterilization, which is a which is a really gross approach to trying to control the population with eugenics, um, with no proof. You know, there's as we've said, we haven't found those genes. Now they definitely didn't have them back in the. in the first part of the 20th century and even as we know sterilization went into the 70s in the United States and even more today we can talk about but but what really struck me and we we covered this this story in a brief way in the film I would have liked to have extended it is Stephen Thomas who's a young man a young man now but he was a, a very small toddler when he was poisoned by lead paint chips He had you know, been exposed to lead paint, which the CDC now says is a, you know any exposure is toxic and, and not, should not happen. Um, he had to get chelation therapy. He went through a terrible time and has developmental disabilities as a result. And the mother of Stephen Thomas decided that she wanted to hold the leg pigment industry accountable for what had happened to her child and what she knew was happening to children around the country and around the world, of course. And in that state, in Wisconsin um, at the time, they could actually hold the entire industry accountable because of laws that had been passed that said you don't have to trace the exact source of the lead for it to, to, to bring it to court and to blame you, know, to hold these people accountable. So they did that, and so Stephen Thomas and his family were facing off with the lead pigment industry and a bunch of different companies people would be familiar with. And they used this so called genetic defense, the gene defense, saying that it was not the lead paint that made him have learning disabilities, but that his parents. And his siblings, and his they looked everywhere, his cousins, his half-cousins, and all this, were just genetically unintelligent, and that 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 was the problem with Stephen. And they looked at report cards, they did this, I mean, spent a lot of money. And we show one of these so-called experts who testify on behalf of the industry, and it's shocking. And I think, I was just surprised that this sort of, after we'd been doing all the research about history, that anything like this was happening today and you know they won the case and they'll see that in the film Stephen thomas lost mm-hmm. to this and then the lawyers were very convinced that the jury bought into this gene idea which they spent a lot of time pushing and so that was a big red flag for us because you can you can have no evidence of this you know as we point out there is no evidence so therefore we shouldn't be pushing it but of course you don't need the evidence because people are so willing to believe it we've been told it's true we learned about it in school and um and so that was, yeah, that was one of the most moving stories. And he's had a lot of trouble, you know, since then. He hasn't gotten the kind of care he would need, and that's so they were suing for him to be able to have the kind of care about learning and just in general, and it's just really sad. Right.
0: I think, if I can pivot to a, a happier, happier topic, um, as someone who creates a thing in this form of, of this podcast, I'm always really interested in talking process with people in creative fields and you're an independent filmmaker and you you're, you're doing this doc. How does this, how does this whole thing come about? How does the process work from kind of germinating on the idea to creating it to trying to get it into film festivals, all those, because it's, I mean, it, I'm sure it's, People in creative fields, it tends to be a passion, but it's also, I mean, it's a lot of, it's not a point A to point B. It's about, speaking of things where there's lots of things at play, um, it it seems like a complicated process.
1: Yes, I, you know, I was um, trained in film and uh, back in school, back in the ways ago, a while ago, and was very discouraged at the time that film in and of itself was going to be a viable uh, career for me (laughs) um, and got into radio, which I love. And then when video came along and it became a lot easier to, technically, to pull off a documentary, I dove into it. And I still do radio as well. But... It was a real difficult process in this case. This topic was so involved and so, I mean, it's history and science and politics and all these things that we had to try to weave together in an entertaining way to be able to get, you know, what we were trying to get across and to, to challenge this paradigm. And it was tough, we had partners. I think in this case, we were very lucky because from the beginning when I pitched this project, we had a lot of support from a small group of people And we ushered, it took us a long time to get to this point where we focused on the social part of uh, genetics and everything and looking at at it from a social point of view versus something in agriculture or medicine, which we had started with originally, ended up here. And so that, I mean, it was archival research, you know, editing, re-editing, getting new interviews versus a lot of people who were probably much more prepared and organized before they launch into a film. So so we were probably an anomaly in that sense. It took us <laughs> 10 years, more than 10 years, 15 years almost. But It was worth it and it was a real team effort. I mean, you know, we had, I think that was the other thing is we had a team of people who were really working together. And without that, I mean, it was frustrating. We fought and everything along the way but it was a better film as a result. So I would you know, encourage people to have collaborations wherever you can, especially right. people with different skills. You know, yeah. I've, you know, marketing and all this stuff, I'm learning so much about it. You have to do so much as an independent filmmaker today, but there's a lot of opportunities to get yourself out there and not rely on this larger structure right. to do that. So it's, right. it's a really good time yeah. to be a filmmaker, I yeah. think.
0: Did you want to order anything? Are you hungry at all? So, about that sort of cameo I mentioned earlier, (laughs) it's actually more like an interesting fact about Stephanie's documentary. Remember when I was talking about our past guest, Augustine Fuentes, like 15 minutes ago? Well, he helped bring Stephanie to campus and is one of the scholars you hear from during the film. And if you want to hear from him on a podcast, his episode was the eighth one of our second season, titled... On evolution and defining creativity. Yeah, that's like I said, it's a cameo. Sort of. Thank you. you so where I, I know I when I went to the website, it's a is it a dangerous idea.com? Is that right? Dangerous ideafilm.com. Dangerous I know when I went there it had I it saw like kind of the insignias of the different film festivals. Where have you where have you had it? had it screened so far?
1: Oh, my gosh. Um, I know I actually have that list in front of me. We have screened... Well, we... We screened first at the Santa Fe Film Festival, which and we won best documentary in our nice. first festival. So well, we were awesome. really excited start. by that. We were like, "Hey, this just beginning," you know? Yeah. We're yeah. like, Well, I'm not going to count on this, but no, it was really really fun festival too. Everybody should go to that festival. Um, we've been at Richmond, Virginia. We've been at the Savannah Film Festival. we we've, we've also have international distribution on television as well. I should say it's out there in a, in an hour long form. But cut out a lot of the American-focused stuff yep. and focus on the science yep. and everything. Um, so we have that with Java Films around the world It's aired. And we have it P- – Passion River is our commercial distributor, so we have it also on iTunes and all of those platforms and on DVD. But festivals and the small screenings like we had last night at the Vickers sc- – Theater in Three Oaks, Michigan, yeah, it's which is about, a fantastic theater. Yeah, I was
0: going to say, it's about, what is it, about a 45-minute drive from here, maybe? Yeah, 40 about 30 minutes? or so, thirty. Yeah, yeah, not too bad. I haven't been there in a long time, but yeah, it's a cool theater. It is
1: such a cool theater, and so many great people, and this group of people, at the Harbor Country Progress, and and I, I was just really heartening, and that's that's the best part to me, is the festivals and, and just traveling around, and really having the conversations, and and people are really you know moved by this because i mean not only you know, some of the stories historically that we have in there of course are i think are moving especially the nixon story which nixon era story but it's you know it's challenges what we've been taught and i think that's what that's what we're finding with festivals and all the feedback we've been getting is it's really uh it's a lot more it's touching people on <laughs> a deeper level than i ever thought it would. So. Mm-hmm.
0: I, mean, I was going to ask you that. I mean, obviously, best documentary award is. Have you, has reception been generally generally positive when you've when you've screened it and the people you've had a chance to talk to?
1: Yes, yeah. yes. We've you know we always have different questions that are really challenging, which are fun. You know, conversations and some people say, "Hey, wait a minute, you went too far on this, and what about that?" And so we have this great great conversation. Yeah, I think overall we haven't had anybody say this is garbage or this you, is fake news. Or did,
0: did, <laughs> I mean, do you have? Do you have a I always I hate asking people favorite, most, whatever, because I always find that really hard. But is there a, a particularly memorable kind of interaction that you've had from being out and, and screening it for people and actually being able to see people? I imagine that it as a as a filmmaker, that's gotta be really interesting, especially in a festival environment. Or I mean even like what you're doing at the Vickers last night, because you kinda see people reacting to it in real time, which I imagine is both really cool and kind of terrifying at the same time
1: yeah it's always but. nerve-wracking it's like wait I thought that was funny yeah. <laughs> but they didn't think it was funny or something and yeah. yeah I mean yeah last night too was great people were laughing at all the places that I hope they would. what's moved me a lot are people who feel who have told me that they feel you know that this is a continuation of the efforts toward making this country more equal you know and that that they feel that this is a contribution to that and that that really moves me to hear that because that was our intention you know when we when we you know a lot of people are cynical about the american dream which van jones mentions in the end and and that's something we wanted to be sure to approach it's like okay well what is this dream If people it was a challenge the film is a challenge especially to progressives or people anyone everybody who believes that that we're all created equal and if you if you believe that tenet of this country you can't believe in genetic determinism they're they're diametrically opposed and that was why we decided that the american dream should be that frame because there's just really no other simpler way to make this clear and so when people have come up and said this is a contribution to really uh, you know saying that we can actually there's there's nothing in our biology that's stopping us from having a more equal world and of course you know everyone's different and that's the beauty of of this country and around the world and human beings in general we're we're unique and at the same time we all have equal value and so that's that's the heartening part so far yeah that's Mm -hmm. i
0: mean that's a a great message and i think one that um yeah it's a challenge to everyone and one that everyone needs to hear so and i think that's a great way to end the film is a dangerous idea eugenics genetics and the american dream which we were just talking about Stephanie Welch is the director and producer. Thank you so much for making time for the show.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: With a Side of Knowledge is a production of the Office of the Provost at the University of Notre Dame with support from Soren's Restaurant. Our website is provost.nd.edu slash podcast.